Welcome back, I'm Kim Bailey, she's Fuliana Rosborn and this is Inside Exec. Today we're continuing our discussion with Midori Verity and we're going to hear about neuroplasticity and zones of genius. That's a beautiful segue into talking about zone of genius. So let's hear about discovering our zones of genius and tapping into them. Yeah, so just to define for those who might not be as familiar with that term, Zone of genius is what you're intrinsically, naturally gifted at, and then also that you love to do. Going back to DISC, the DISC assessment, which stands for D-I-S-C, these are different types of personality styles that we all have. For instance, someone who's a very high D tends to be that dominating personality style. They, they often are the leaders and they want to do things really quick. They are very goal-centric. Whereas someone who is an I, that stands for influencer, they are the social butterflies. They um, walk into a room and they light it up and they want to be very social. And then you have the high S that is stands for steady. That's the person who is the, um, they're great team members. And then C, that's a conscientious person. There are the people who, who get things done. They keep us organized. They pay attention to details. We need them too. But each of these different personality styles have a way, have things that they are really naturally good at. So if you try to go, this is where the entrepreneur part comes out too. So it's kind of tying in everything we've been talking about. If you go to the influencer personality style, who's maybe leading your sales team and you tell this, this, let's say it's a woman, you tell her, okay, I need you to be extremely organized and I need reports every single day. And I want you to do it in a very structured manner. Chances are you're going to drive her up the wall. She is going to be focused on that when really her zone of genius is on going out and socializing and networking and motivating other people. And if you can let her play there, she's going to be more successful for your organization. Is that making sense? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that's getting back to the other question that you had prior about having, you know, letting people shine their entrepreneurial spirit. It's understanding these different behavioral types because it all comes down to that is who are they naturally? What are they really good at? It's important to think about that when you're also hiring. You don't want to hire all D's or all I's or all C's. And therefore, it is important to know that we need all of them. And the proportion is depends on the company and its size, et cetera. Completely. Yes, it's very, very important. So for instance, if you have a high C, a high C 10, someone who is the conscientious type of personality style, they tend to be the CFOs, the, the accountants, yeah. um, the people who are extremely organized. They may be your executive assistant, depending on what you need for that. But if you have a company that's filled with that or a whole team that's filled with that, nothing's going to get done. It's going to take forever because they tend to be very focused on being perfect. Mm. And so it can take them a while. That's why exactly to your point is that you want to have a mix of personality styles so that you have those people that are pushing to get things done and they're bringing in their unique special zone of geniuses so that they can amplify everyone's skills. What I find most interesting about that model is that people, when they self-identify, will put themselves on the line. So they'll be between the D and the C, and they'll be between the D and the I, and they'll relate particular experience and say, oh, no, I must be this or I must be that. So if we've got someone listening who feels like 
yes, they fall more into the C category and they do things really well and they get their job done, they do all of this, but every now and then they have this really great idea that comes out of the routine that they've been following and they really want to push it and they want to be the D, they want to just make it happen and, and push it through. Can we give them permission to do that? Can we talk about how they do that? <laughs> they call that dancing on the disc. Yeah, because you you don't always have to be in a certain category. And when you look at the, the I, I'm certified in disc, and so that's why I talk this this language so much. Yeah. But generally, there's two different graphs. There's the natural and the adapted graph. And so yeah. your natural graph is who you tend to be when you're the most comfortable when you're at home or when you're with your best friends out yeah. at dinner. That tends to be the natural. And then you have your adapted, which often is a little bit different based on situation. So it may be at work or in certain, certain teams as well. You know, sometimes you have to step up and be more of a leader, depending on what you have going on. Whereas other times you might be able to tap into stepping back a little bit um, and being that support person and you shine in different ways, depending on your, what's going on in your situation. So absolutely. You can dance on the desk and it's a good thing. Sometimes even as a the social butterfly of the group, you really have to be a C because it's a compliance issue. It is um, an auditable issue, whatever it is. So you have to do that. It's, it's not just going out. Even though you get the results by being yourself, you also have to adapt to the task every now and again. A hundred percent. So getting back to the zone of genius. So the zone of genius, once again, is where you are naturally really good and that you love. So if you're a high I, I'm a high I, I'm a social, you know, I I love being social. Typically someone who's a high I is not a high C. So I can't stand details. Like if someone comes to me and starts giving me all these details, my, you can see my eyes roll back in the back of my head and I can't stand it. However, from owning businesses for so many years, I do have to tap into that quite often. If I'm putting together a proposal or a pitch deck or something like that, I have to, but it's definitely not where I want to play all the time. So that's where we can shift a bit. Those who are the most successful, whether it's in an organization or as an entrepreneur, you're allowed to play more where it's your zone of genius, where you tend to go the most. Just on that, can we go back and hear the Midori story? Because I know that straight out of school, basically, you identified what your goal was going to be and you haven't really swayed from that. So tell us a bit about how you identified it so early because people, I think, tend to be a bit lazy as teenagers and think, oh, you know, well, I'll do something. I'll do whatever my parents tell me to do or I'll do this because all my friends are doing this or whatever else it is. So, so what drove you to have that goal and, and to pursue it for all these years. Yeah. And so I think what you're talking about is when I first graduated from college, I shortly after became an entrepreneur and that was never my intention. When I was going to college, I wanted to be a CEO of a fortune 500. That's what I wanted to do. And I graduated and we happened to be in a reception recession when I graduated from college. And so jobs were not plentiful and I did not have the resume to support that. Why don't we start a business? And so that's where we went, not knowing what I was doing, but that same time Google AdWords came out and we ended up being early adopters of that. And our business took off. Luckily, you know, that was kind of where the luck came in over the years. I just kind of learned to love it. 
But I'll tell you, Kim, there was a period of time, probably about 12 years into my entrepreneur career, where I hated it. I hated everything about it. I had two kids at that time. We had quite a few expenses. You know, everyone was buying properties then. And so we were too and trying to make it and running a business. And I was wearing all the, I was wearing not all the hats, but I was wearing quite a few hats. I was definitely wearing too many hats, which is an entrepreneurial disease and went into a depression. And so thankfully I looked for ways out and I learned systems and I learned how to be a more effective entrepreneur. And I learned about zone of genius and I learned about goal setting and that helped me dig out so that one, I could get that company. So it was running without me because I hated that company at that point, hated it. Um, so I got that. I, we still have that company um, running on its own. And then I could go off and go start my other companies that I have started. That's kind of my entrepreneurial journey. It was not planned. It was out of, out of need, quite frankly. I think it's interesting for people to hear that failure isn't always the end of things and, and saying that you hate something is okay. Yes. Fuliana will tell you that she hates making video. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Even though she is the social butterfly. Sorry, I just want to touch a bit on what you said earlier. When you went through that experience, did you look at some of your behaviors at that time? How, how did you get to the point where you say, I hate it, right? Okay, that's, so that's the overall. But how did you identify where to come in and out and how to like hand over that company and focus on something else? Did you also look at your behaviors and what was helping you do what you like and be successful at it? And what was stopping you, that behavior, you know, that we have from time to time, we block ourselves. Tell me a bit more about that, if you can. Yeah, really, really common for so many people, right? We all have limiting beliefs. We all have stories that we tell in our head that we believe, our our own personal narrative. So I went through this depression for about six months to the point where I just got so sick of myself. I was just like thinking, what am I going to do? I need to find some solutions. And I ended up going to a business event in Florida and I met a gentleman named Doug Bench and he came up to me and he just started talking about this thing called neuroplasticity. I'd never heard of it before. I didn't know about brain science or that we could change the way that we think. I didn't know any of that then. But as he talked about it, so the concept of neuroplasticity is that we can change the way that we see ourselves. Therefore, we can change our own realities using our mindset. And so just a quick idea about the, or quick example of this is maybe you grew up thinking that you weren't very athletic, but yet you've gotten to a point where you really want to go run a 10 K. So you have to change your mindset right? You have to, you have to work on that to change it so you can go do it and you can, you can achieve that goal. So that's just a simple example. So as I'm listening to Doug Bench talk about this, if you could have gotten in my brain at that time, you would have seen all these light bulbs going off everywhere. I'm like, holy cow, it's me. I have the ability to change my situation. Mm -hmm. I have full control of this. So I didn't know exactly what it was going to look like, but I knew when I came back to California, where I live, that I was going to change my situation. I was going to put people in place and I was going to create a business that I didn't have to be there anymore. I was going to let myself out one way or the other, even though I didn't know exactly how I was going to do it. Mm -hmm. I knew that I had full control of it. And that was the most empowering moment of my entire life. And so some of the things that you were talking about, 
you know, the things that we say to ourselves, the, the mindsets that we have that say, well, no, you can't do that. You've, you've never had a, an organization or ever been paid, you know, $5 million. How, who, how can you even think that's possible, right? That's a limiting belief. It's our own mental ceiling that's limiting us. And therefore what happens is we subconsciously create that reality. Mm. And so by being aware of it and taking steps to change that narrative going on in our head so that we become that athlete that we want to become, so Mm. we can become that successful person so that we can become that happily married person um, or whatever it is, Mm. we just change that narrative. And so that's really what I did. And it just Mm. freed my brain to be able to get more creative and believe that I could change my situation. And it happened very, very quickly. So yeah, that's my answer. Thank you. Let's take a break there in our discussion with Midori Verity. Join us for part three, where we'll look at the future of setting goals. For now, I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne, and this is Inside Exec. Mm -hmm. 